You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. We're going to continue this series on the book of John. Nathan talked in the book of John of chapter 7 last weekend. It was how people would go to church and have an opinion on who Jesus is. But then we all have to ask that question at some point. Who is Jesus to us? And it seems the ones who should really know who Jesus was, was the religious leaders. And yet they couldn't see their shortcomings by their own self-righteousness. And it's easy to pick on the Pharisees, isn't it? They ultimately killed our Savior But it's not too far off to think that we could easily fall right in that same trap. That we could easily think very similarly as religiosity can quickly rear its ugly head and self-righteousness becomes our M.O. We can, without noticing, get, as as Nathan said, we can try to get Jesus to look like us instead of us looking like Jesus. We want and we need and we have these desires. And the list goes on and on and on. And yet Jesus said, This is who I am. So the question is, will we accept that of who he said he is? So who is this Jesus that speaks so boldly against the religious sect? Who has no, he does not want to play in this world of politically correctness. His truth was and still is offensive to this day for sinners, including me. Chapter 8 talks a little bit more about who Jesus is and what people thought. But we're going to look at chapter 9 today. Now there's 41 verses in chapter 9 today. We're going to go through all those. So we're going to start right off the top at verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me, night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Let's just stop here and look at this. It's the disciples that ask this, ask Jesus if this man is cursed because of sin. It's not religious people. It's not Pharisees. And it's an interesting question and one that we really don't get the answer that we want. It's not an answer that's easy to understand or even accept. And Jesus didn't really seem that concerned of why he was blind. He was concerned that he was blind. And he wanted to fix that. His explanation basically says, all things aren't as black and white as we might want them to be, but God will get glory out of this scenario. I've told you all before that for 32 years, every single day of my life, I have to take medicine to walk. I've got severe arthritis. I got uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was a kid. And all of a sudden, uh, I experienced pain at 12 years old that no kid should ever have to experience. What it's done is helped shape me to care about other people. I don't know why I got it. I really don't. But I can tell you, I can look at somebody who has a physical disability and hurt for them the way that someone else might not be able to. I can empathize because I know what it's like to crawl at my house to get from room to room instead of walk. So at the age of 12, going from a normal kid to somebody that's in pain on a daily basis, was this because my parents sinned? Was it because I sinned? Was it because we are living in a world that is riddled with sin, that's so far removed from God across the board in so many ways? And is it because Jesus knew that he could use it to help shape me into the man he wanted me to be, to see the hurt in the way he does? 
The age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? There are plenty of answers I could give you. They're pretty blanket statements. Some of it's above my pay grade. Jesus said there is no one that's good except God the Father, so that kind of eliminates good things happening or bad things happening to good people. I don't really understand everything about God, I'll tell you that. But I do believe that he has a way to redeem lives. His scripture proves that. Situations that in the long run will turn the world around for everyone who sees that and show who he is. And in this instance, Jesus said this was God's plan that we might see his mighty power displayed and forever change the hearts who see it. As you read these first five verses, what you might do is not really pay attention to what's really important. What's really important is not why the man is blind. It's that the man was blind. Oftentimes we get all caught up in what we don't understand and we forget that right before our eyes is a need. And instead of fixing that need, here's how we are as humans. We want it to be accounted for. We want it to be explained. I'm not sure that's how Jesus worked. I was walking out of the gym last Sunday after an afternoon, and I see a lady that walks up to me, and she, she looks pretty rough. And I suspected that she was on drugs. She says, sir, can I ask you a question? And you know what she's going to ask, right? You know what she's going to ask. She's going to ask me for money. And I said, yeah. So I started talking to her, and she's like, my kids need food, and they need juice. And I immediately thought, I don't know if she's legit or bogus, but I can actually fix this need. There's a dollar store right next to the gym. I'm like, just go on in there and pick out whatever you need and I'll just pay for it. It was like 14 bucks. It's not hardly any money. But I said, I want you to know that this happened so that you know who Jesus is, that he loves you. Our job isn't to get caught up playing the judge, church. Our job is to emulate Christ in every situation in life. Was she bogus? Was this lady another person taking advantage of the system? Maybe, I don't know. What I did know is I could fix that need at that point in time. Why would I not? Jesus lived and worked in a way where he saw needs and he met them. Plain and simple. We can have theological debates until we are red in the face, until we're frustrated with each other. Or, or church, we could just live like Jesus lived. And the, and the world would change. Let's pick it up in verse 6. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, uh, seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who, we, who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But then he, he himself is like, no, no, this is me. I'm that man. And they said, well, how were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go in Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked. And I don't know, he said. Jesus sees a man with a need and decides that today this man's going to lie. Life is going to change. But it doesn't happen with this, this man, without this man walking out in faith, does it? He has to step out in faith and go and do what Jesus had said in Washington alone. Now listen, when a man that's born blind is walking around town and talking to people and seeing people, word's going to spread fast, right? 
It won't be too long before the religious people hear what's happened. And in typical Pharisee fashion, the religious people find out and they want to take this and twist it as if Jesus had done something wrong. I preached about a month ago from chapter 5. And it's when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. And it happened to be, uh, he healed him on the Sabbath. And it made all kinds of Pharisees upset because they said that he broke the law and he was a sinner. This is only going to make things worse because this happens to be the Sabbath as well. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said, he put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. "Uh Uh-oh, it's the Sabbath, and Jesus isn't playing by the rules again. Like, you know what we told you. You can't do this. Why won't you listen to us? Why won't you live the way we want you to live? Can you just see that Pharisee mindset come up? The Pharisees originally, (coughs) excuse me, learned from Judaism. But as time went on, they added their own law and custom in order to be more holy. But that soon turned into like this self-righteous conquest. So remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, which was a commandment, has now turned into Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, so therefore he's a sinner. But that's not what Scripture says. It doesn't say that. It's a man-made tradition that was added on top of it. The commandment's still there. It's between three and five. It's commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath and keeping it holy. It's talking about a time where we respect and we take some time off. We don't think about all the things in the world that pull us and we actually spend time with our God. But I would argue that Jesus spitting on the ground, making mud and putting it on some guy's eyes so that they could see would be work. You know that today, even to this day in Israel, there are some hotels that the elevators will stop on every single floor so that you don't have to push a button on the Sabbath. Do you think that's remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy? The Pharisees believed that on the Sabbath you could take five steps, but then before you took a sixth step, you had to take a rest. Or that women couldn't wear ribbons in their hair because it would be considered carrying a burden. Or if you drug a stick on the ground, it would be considered plowing. Do you see how crazy this got? Remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, it sounds crazy. And we look at it and we're like, come on, Pharisees, you're better than that. But here we are in 2017 and we do the same thing. We add our own stipulations to the Bible. We read it the way we want to read it and we live it out the way we want to live it out. And then we add some regulations to make it seem as if we're more holy. So the Pharisees are divided on who Jesus is, even though over and over and time and time again, he keeps telling them who he is. And it's not like Jesus was this guy who just spoke out uh, when crowds weren't around. Like he said it no matter where they were at, even if they were in front of him. He was very bold. He was very honest on who he was. Nathan talked about it last week. Look, Jesus is who he says he is. And for many of these religious leaders, It's not what they wanted to hear. So they just disregarded it 
And they weren't going to have any part of it. And so they just said it's not true. But you guys know that just because you disregard something doesn't mean it's gone or it's right or wrong, right? That's not how that works. Um, We all have to answer that question, who is Jesus? And our answer will show probably what we think about God the Father. But it has zero impact. I mean, hear me, zero impact on who he is. We cannot dictate who Jesus Christ is. According to scriptures, he's the only hope that we have to get to God the Father. After a couple years of my daughter praying on a nightly basis that we would get a puppy, and my wife would come down here. You know how this works. She would come down. She's like, Brookie really wants a puppy. She's so sad. I'm like, no, you really want a puppy, and you're using your daughter to get me to, yeah, you know what's going to happen. I gave in. I got a puppy, okay? So right after Christmas, we got a puppy. Now, this is Sammy Wolfgang Ballard. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. He'll eat your face off. That dog's a killer. That's mean. You guys are mean. All right, so he's a typical puppy. He's really sweet. He'll nibble on your hands. He loves to have fun and play. Um, He's doing okay on the whole potty training thing. After about week one, my wife looks at me and she's like, "Uh, I think Sammy's gifted. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I start laughing. She's like, he's gifted. You'll see. I'm like, wow, hit a nerve there. Well, about two weeks later, I get a text from her. I'm at work, B's with me. And uh, I get a text and it says, Sammy had his his first visit with the vet and everything went great. He's 1.8 pounds, all muscle. And, uh, and she said, and I told the vet that I think he's gifted. And the vet looked at me and smiled and nodded. So he thinks he's gifted too. I'm like, no, the vet does not think he's gifted. He thinks you're crazy. That's what's happening at the vet's office. The dog that doesn't know the difference between grass and carpet is far from gifted at this point. You guys know what I'm saying. Just because we believe something doesn't make it fact. Just because we believe to choose not to believe something doesn't make it wrong. The Pharisees, they had made up their mind And they were so busy trying to disprove that Jesus was who he said he was that they ultimately missed what they feared most. And that was missing the mark of God and missing the Messiah right in front of them. Verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe him, that he had been blind and they had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is, is this the one you say that was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. The parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. What a way that religious people have of bullying people. The Pharisees were just trying to be bullies in this scenario. Verse 24, second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, right? They said, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already. Did you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Don't you love this guy? 
He's just right back in their face. Then they hurled insults at him and they said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And then the man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, little people like me, only you religious people, right? But nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Immediately, following this man's question, do you want to be his disciples? They do like the third grader's response. You want to be the disciple. You're the disciple of Jesus. And he's like, I don't even know Jesus. Remember, this man was born blind. And in that culture, that would, a birth defect like that would mean you had some sort of sin in your life and it would constitute a life of being kind of looked over. This man didn't know who Jesus was. And you remember back to the very beginning of the chapter, it was the disciples that asked if it was because of sin that this man was cursed. It wasn't the religious people. It was culture. But these, these disciples, they're every normal, normal, everyday people. They weren't steeped in religious mindset. It's just what they had been accustomed to hearing. Verse 34, the Pharisees immediately throw around the word sin again, and they label him as a sinner. Just like typical righteous self-righteous religious people. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. Yes. Amen. But you're a sinner too, and you need Jesus too. Bad news for everyone. We're all sinners. Good news for everyone. Christ died for all of us. And that's amazing. You can clap for that. That's the whole reason why we're here. Christ died for us. Amen. What I love about this guy is that he's just not intimidated by these people. He's not intimidated by the religious people because he's probably been looked over his whole life. He's never been told he needs to fear these people. And so he speaks boldly. In essence, he says, you guys, let me, let me just get this straight. You guys know the most about God. You are the voice of God. And yet this dude comes on the scene, heals me, something that no one's ever seen in the world, healed a blind man from birth, and you don't know who he is. That's remarkable. That's amazing. In all your splendor, and all, all your wisdom, you don't know who he is. Maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. Look, he might be a sinner. I don't know. But you have no logical explanation if he is a sinner why he did this for me. We know that a house divided can't stand. These Pharisees had their minds made up about Jesus, so they weren't going to hear anything else. They were going to go the direction they wanted to go, regardless of what was right in front of them. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when, they, when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you think he would ask that if he would have been his disciple? He didn't know him. He said, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him, Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, the one speaking with you, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. What the disciples saw as a man cursed, Jesus saw as a soul that needed to be saved. You see, we get all caught up in the whys and the whats and we try to figure out stuff that's probably way above our mentality and understanding. And right before us are needs 
that go unmet. There are souls that need Jesus. Jesus extends grace to this man, forever changing his life. Because listen, if you've been born blind and now you see both clearly, physically and spiritually, you're going to worship that person that gave you sight in both realms. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. What do you guys think he he means when he says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I think Jesus is saying, look, I've came for those who know who they really are. The depravity of their soul, the broken, the weary, the ones who understand that from very beginning of into this world that they are steeped in sin. I've came for those to change their lives. But then because of self-righteousness, I could stand right in front of you and even though you can see, you would never even know who I am. It's two really important things that happen in this, this chapter. One, that is we're all born spiritually blind and Jesus came to fix that. Every one of us. And then two, if we think we can do this thing on our own, or we think we can create some sort of checklist like the Pharisees did, we can do this and all these things will line up, we're going to miss the mark, I promise you. Jesus could stand right in front of us and we would not even see because of our own traditions. You know, the Pharisees didn't start out this way, though. Do you guys know that? They didn't start out this way. In fact, they started out so that this would never happen. Ever again, they were so scared of missing God and going back into exile that what they did was add more man-made rules to what God's laws were. And it was actually noble of them. They really didn't want to do what was wrong. These rules were called the Talmud and they weren't considered to be inspired by God, but more of an oral code to live by, expounding on the law. However, somewhere along the way, they began to serve the religion versus the one who came to judge and save And this sect of religious people had created a tradition that turned into religious rites. And those religious rites were how they would judge people. But they weren't a bunch of evil people to begin with. Do you see how quickly self-righteousness can come in and change everything? We get our eyes on our own man-made traditions. We add to whatever we want to add to. We stop taking his words serious, not relying on God's inspired words. And just like the Pharisees, they missed God's heart for the world and reduced it from a relationship to law, which God warned them about in Isaiah 28. We get frustrated with them, right? We get frustrated with the Pharisees. They ultimately killed our savior. But in doing so, it forever changed our world, Gentiles alike. That's good news for us, but not for them. They would continue to fight Christianity and they would pray for God to send the Messiah and yet he was just there. You just killed him. How did you not see it? It makes me think about the modern church. It makes me think about me. I had to really look this week and say, God, have I become a Pharisee? Have I taken scriptures and made them feel a way I want them to feel? Have I created some sort of checklist 
that I can prove that I'm good enough. I went to church today. I read the Bible daily. I gave to the poor. I pray. And all those things are super important and part of a Christian, a Christ follower's life. But not if we miss why we're doing it. It's easy to think about how easily we can have these traditions become a checklist. I do a D group daily. So six days a week, I do this devotional group where I have accountability to read the same chapter. It's great. I love it. But there are days that I find other things that I need to get done. So what I do is just hurry up through it. Not really focusing on what God has to say. I'm just trying to check off something. I've been coming here for, I've been here almost four years now and I've never been at a service that we didn't take communion. And I would, I would probably argue that many people don't really think about what that means. You understand that we probably should be standing on trial for death. And God has the gavel, he's getting ready to put it down, we're sentenced to death. And then Jesus walks in like this slain lamb, this perfect being walks in battered and beaten and torn up and says, I, I got them. See how quickly we can just make checklists out of religion. It's easy to do. And as we add more stuff, more stipulations, more definition of our own, it ends up becoming our downfall. Jesus came that those who couldn't see would be able to see. And those who thought they could see wouldn't even see. Do you recognize how great a debt we really are in? We come into this world with nothing, we leave this world with nothing, and I pose this question in the first service, what do we really offer to God? That's the beauty of God, right? We offer our heart and he changes everything. He loves us that much that our heart means that much to him. It's amazing. And then he comes in and he gives us sight and he sets us free. The question I have for me, you, all of us, have you charted off course? From where you first started, when you took the Bible at its very word and you were eager to be more like Jesus, have you added your own stipulations? Have you taken the liberties afforded by grace, used them to your advantage, all the while people are watching you? Do you guys know that most of you, not all of you, but most of you will be the only Bible that people read the way you live your life. Do you see how easily we could somewhat distort the truth by representing a Christian's lifestyle nowhere near what God's called us to live? Look, I do it too. I'm not, I preach it myself most of the time. It just made me think as I went through this this week, is it still possible that the Pharisee mindset could still be robbing people of sight even here in 2017? And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we could say, yeah, it has. It still does rob us of our sight. So let's just make it right. That's the other beauty of God. His love is extravagant. His grace is unmatched. Maybe today we say, Lord Jesus, if, if we're blind, Help us to see. Won't you close your eyes and bow your heads, please? God, we love you. And uh, I 
think about the blessings in our life. I think about how you've given us hope and you've given us every single good and perfect gift came from you. And yet we just mess things up. We're just flawed from the very get-go. And God, it's a struggle that we have the rest of our life. So we pray that we would always hear your voice. I pray, Lord, that we would not make our own customs, that we would not make our own traditions, that we would take your word at face value, study it, and try to figure out what you're trying to say. That we would live lives that emulate Christ so that this world might know that you really do love them. God, I pray for every soul that's here this morning. I pray that you would penetrate very deep for them to understand how much you love them, how much you want us all to get back on track if we've gotten off course. God, I love you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Look, this is not a, this is not a sermon to make you feel bad. This is human nature. Every single person is gonna struggle with self-righteousness at some point. We just will. It's the way uh, our sinful nature wants things. It is a sermon, though, to help you get back on course. Just for maybe that we can be humble enough to look at God and say, have I gotten off course? And if so, Lord, forgive me, help me get back on. I asked Missy to sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness, which is my favorite hymn this morning. So in a second, we're gonna stand and worship. If you want prayer for anything, There'll be people up here that would love to pray for you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, it's super simple. It's all you do is you confess with your mouth. You ask for forgiveness of your sins. You confess with your mouth that you actually believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the son of God that died on a cross, rose from the grave, and now is with God the Father. And then we get eternity. You believe it in your heart, and it forever changes the course of your life. If you want to give your heart to God today, there'll be people up here that would love to pray with you. Afterwards, I would love to pray with you if you want to. Why don't you stand and worship with us?